Uh, thank you all for joining us tonight on this wonderful and beautiful evening. Uh, well, let us begin in a sign of our faith. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Good and gracious Father, we thank you for the many blessings that you have bestowed upon us, especially the blessing in which your Son came to set us free and to call us to be his disciples. We ask that you bless our meeting tonight. And so that in all we do, we may abide in you and build your kingdom. As we say, glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. Amen. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. There's a few seats left up front. If those would like, I promise we won't take up a collection. <laughs> Although as a pastor, I'm tempted. <laughs> okay. Um. Why are we here tonight? Uh, we want to see where we've been, and I'll show you some stats from probably the last five to ten years. We want to see where we're currently at, and then where we are going. So I want to start off with, first of all, thanking the many parishioners the last few years who have helped to implement our strategic plan. Has anyone seen this strategic plan yet? Um, it was promulgated two years ago. It's been in the uh, our bulletin, it's been in our paper, it's been on our website. And so anything that we do at St. Peter has to go back to our plan, our vision. And so that way it's okay, it's not just crazy Father Clark's idea, but we can go back to what we have put together. And these were leaders from across the parish in different leadership positions, age groups, some new parishioners, some veteran parishioners. Um, and so can you probably, I don't know if you can read that in the back, but I'll just kind of go through our strategic plan. Um, our vision, what we want to see, St. Peter Church will abide in Christ and build his kingdom. You probably hear this over and over again at the end of petitions. Um, but our mission, how we actually accomplish that vision, is to make disciples and fulfill the mission of Jesus Christ, to make disciples by participating in his ministry as priest prophet and king. These are the three areas of our Lord in his ministry, priest, prophet, and king. And so in order to govern what we do, what are our core principles, our values, we had determined seven of them. First, the principle of holiness. I mean, if we're not trying to be saints, it's epic failure. So holiness is number one. Second is beauty, and these aren't really ranked, but beauty we recognize as a transcendental meaning that beauty speaks to the heart. And so some people are convinced by the faith, by truth, but most people see something beautiful. They experience the beautiful music or beautiful grounds, and I'm so grateful for so many volunteers of working together to make our grounds beautiful. Uh, third, we must practice evangelization by sharing the good news of Jesus Christ through the corporal and spiritual works of mercy. And here at St. Peter, particularly, to do evangelization means to look outside of our parish. And that's why I'm so grateful for things like St. Vincent de Paul, which goes out and does the corporal works of mercy, and the Legion of Mary, which does the spiritual works of mercy. A fourth principle is the pursuit of truth. Pursuing truth in our intellectual and spiritual formation, guided by scripture, tradition, and the magisterium. And the primary way of what we pursue truth is what we have in our great school here at St. Peter. But we also have our, what was formerly known as RCIA. It's now called The Way. We have small groups. We have uh, many different areas in which we want to pursue truth. Get behind me, Satan. Um, and next, next is life. We recognize that if we don't have life in our culture and build up life, all these other things really won't matter. In particular, because we live right next to the abortion mill down the road, we want to be a beacon of life. Uh, sixth, we want to cultivate unity. Unity is one of the core principles of the church. There are four marks of the church. One, holy, Catholic, and apostolic. The night before our Lord died, he prayed that all disciples may be one, just as he and the Father are one. And so unity, particularly in a parish, 
what what the, the, the reason the way how the Lord or the, the way how the devil works is to bring division. The early church they were of one heart and one mind, and so that's what we really want to try to accomplish here at St. Peter. And then finally, we are generous stewards. A steward gives of his time, talents, and treasures. So tonight, I thank you for giving me your time. And so to fulfill the mission of Jesus Christ, to make disciples, priests, prophets, and kings, the prophetic office is knowledge of God through evangelization and catechesis. So keep that order straight. The church would do a very good job of teaching the faith, but before we could actually teach the faith, we have to start shifting gears of spreading the faith, of evangelizing. More on that in a minute. Secondly, we participate in the life of God through prayer and the sacraments. This is the priestly office. But the priestly office doesn't mean that it's just us priests. This also falls to those people who are like ushers or music ministry, anything that actually is incorporating into the life of the church and its sacraments. And then finally, demonstrating good stewardship through governance of people and resources. And this is the kingly office. So, um, you remember the story of Moses who brings the people out of Israel, and he's so busy because everyone keeps coming to him, coming to him, coming to him. And the wise men said, well, why don't you appoint some elders, 70 elders, to actually help you govern? And so, um, this parish is a large parish. I can't fulfill everyone's questions or needs. So, I'm fortunate and blessed to have a great staff and many volunteer lay leaders. And so at this time, I'd like to introduce, most of you probably already know some of our staff, but if not, I'll call them forward. Our priestly office, overseen by Father Worth and Father Dewar. Father Dewar, as you may know, is becoming pastor of Manly and Elmwood, Elmwood um, and he will be leaving us uh, the second week in June. So, Father Worth. Um, the governing office, our parish manager, is Catherine Norman. She's been here three years. And then under her is Bill Gravy. Some of you may recognize him. He is our bookkeeper. And Brenda Shields, who is accounts receivable, so any tuition, tithing, campaign, that all goes to, to, to Brenda. And then our school principal, Kurt Fellmeyer. And then the prophetic office is our parish catechist, Blake Baggert, and all the people underneath him. So if you had like a question about, say, um, decorations of church, well, you can go to some, the person who's in charge of decoration, and if they can't answer that question, then you can go to Catherine or Blake or anyone on the leadership team so this encompasses our leadership team. And so I want to thank you for, for your service. And then our newest member will be Father, I don't even know how to pronounce his first name yet. I call him Father, they call him Father Ramaniti. Um, he goes by Father Ramaniti. It's hard to remember his name, just think of ramen noodles. <laughs> So, Father Ramaniti, he's been ordained a priest for 19 years, and he's been in our diocese for six years. So he under, by now he understands our culture, he understands what it means to be a good priest. He uh, was very instrumental in India of building a Marian shrine, helping out at the seminary, and being a pastor himself. So he, his main assignment will be Brian West, part-time and then in our parish boundaries, we have 11 nursing homes that he will actually be ministering to those people. But you will see him on the weekends. And because we're getting a, a third priest, we will continue the 5.30 p.m. Mass throughout the year. Okay, so I want to share with you some stats of our, our current parish. Um, we have over 3,600 parishioners which equates to about 5% of the diocese. So I told the bishop we should have 5% of the priest. <laughs> uh, we have about 1,400 registered households. 
And of those 1,400, we have 802 active households. What's the distinction? Um, an active household are those households who participate in either time, talents, or treasures in the parish. So there are many people that come to church that say that they're part of St. Peter, but they're kind of what you call the anonymous Catholic. They might be practicing the faith, but they just not have made themselves known by being involved in any ministry or signing up for Eucharistic Holy Hour or giving any tithing or pledge to the campaign. We have 2,259 adults. In children under 18, we have 1,427. We have 38 full-time staff and 16 part-time staff. And that equates to 43 ministries that are going on here. So it's a pretty active, lively place with a budget of 4.2 million. Um, a population trends from 2017, uh, we, we were starting to grow back up and then after 2018, we dropped and then COVID came and currently we are at 1425. This is uh, an all time high in the last 10 years. But on the flip side, our population is decreasing. So this kind of scratch your head. Well, how come our households are increasing but our population is decreasing? You could probably figure that out. It's because many of you who had children five, six, seven years ago that were in high school who are now graduated are no longer on our roster. So what this shows is a decrease of children. As our parish ages, um, we will see this decrease. Our religious formation this last year, um, under the direction and guidance of Blake Vaggart, we brought in 14 new people into the church. We were praying for 12, and when we started, we had about seven. And Blake, with all his confidence and hope in the Lord and his promise, he says, we'll get 12. And sure enough, the Lord provided. Our CCD, we have 131 um, students in CCD. This is probably the second largest CCD program in the diocese after North American Martyrs. Um, our God team, we have 53 students involved in high school ministry. And our school, kindergarten through eighth, we have 275 students in um, our school. And I just found out today from our principal, Kurt, that our preschool and pre-K programs are completely full. So that's a good sign for our future. At Pius, we have 140 students. And then we also have a unique program here called Catechesis of the Good Shepherd, in which we have 28 students who come to that. Oh, by the way, too, um, we'll put all this information out online if you want. Um, feel free to take notes, but if you want um, any of this information, it'll all be available to you by Friday. And in this Lent, we started a discipleship group. So we have 12 small groups going in which they meet in homes, and they, there's a, a, a curriculum and books that we've been studying, and so many of you who are here tonight are part of that. Um, just kind of some stats on our statistics over the last um, seven years. You can see our baptisms in 2015, we had 72, and last year we were down to 58. Um, and reflective, too, from First Communions, 93, down to 69, this um, would, would have been last year. And confirmations, 55. But in 2015, we had 131 confirmations. Um, marriages, I'll talk about that in a minute. We've been kind of steady in marriages. Obviously, these two years here, um, there's an asterisk because it was kind of COVID year. So this, when we were supposed to have first communions and confirmations, all fell into this year. So that's why those kind of two years are kind of an anomaly. And then our funerals. Um, obviously, our funerals are increasing, uh, averaging one um, about every three weeks. Now, we had a lot of funerals um, in COVID. That wasn't necessarily people, more people dying. It was that people were delaying their funerals. And so, not that they were delaying dying, but you know what I mean. 
Um, sacraments of healing. Um, we have some clickers. We have estimated about 8,500 8, confessions this last year. So you're all a bunch of sinners. <laughs> but it's a good thing, you know, having more confession times and seeing the lines come. Um, it, it really is the life of the parish, as someone told me today. Father, when we see people come into adoration and lines to confession, that shows that there's a healthy parish. Um, anointing of the sick. Uh, last year, we had about 474 anointing of the sick. So that keeps us priests pretty busy throughout the week. Um, as I said before, we have 11 assisted living facilities with 81 Catholics that are served from St. Peter. And we have five homebound households as well. Um, how does the, uh, St. Peter look compared to the other parishes in the city of Lincoln? I just took the top five. Um, and St. Joe's is the biggest for households and number of people. Um, sacraments of initiation, if you might remember, there are three sacraments of initiation, baptism, confirmation, and first communion. Um, St. Joe's um, is the second for that. North American Martyrs, which has a lot more kids, um, has almost 400 sacraments of initiation. St. Peter, 1,425 households, 3,686 people, and 318 sacraments of initiation. St. John's, Cathedral, number six would be St. Michael. Um, this, goes, this graph here goes back to 2004 to kind of almost look at an 18-year trend of mass attendance. And it doesn't look pretty, right? So in 2004, about 64 to 65% of everyone in the whole diocese was going to church on Sundays. And of course, it kind of fluctuated. And then in 2018, we took a dip, 2019, and then COVID, we were down to about 29%. Fortunately, it has rebound a little in the last couple of years. Um, for those of that you don't know, I know the ushers know this, but we do a parish mass census in October. We do it over three weekends, and then we take the average of those three weekends. And typically, we do it also when there's a home Husker football game and an away game to see if there's a difference. At, at one time, that actually was a significant issue for mass attendance. I don't think so much anymore, but um, <laughs> I, which is good in some ways, but sad in other ways. Um, and we also uh, took a daily mass attendance as well. So over the years, the last um, five years, St. Peter had an average of 42% in 2019, which was below the city of Lincoln average, which was 49%. In 2020, we had 28% because of COVID. Remember, this was in October of COVID. But we were higher than the city of Lincoln average. In 21, we had 44%. The Lincoln average is 40%. Last fall, we were 52%, and we were 5% higher than the Lincoln average. And then we did it again in Lent, and we have not seen from the diocese what those averages are. But we were at 56% mass participation um, on Sundays, which meant that we had about over 2,000 people at each mass. And so the average mass was about 520 people, which our church holds about 650. So every mass was pretty full during Lent, so which was a great thing, and I'm so blessed to be the pastor there. Our daily mass, since I've been here, we had about 2% people attend daily mass, and that was about 80 people between the two mass times. Uh, 3%, and then this last year we got up to 6%, 174 people on average attending daily Mass. Now, that does not include our school students, and if it did, we would be at, I think, almost 18%. Anyone here ever read Jim Collins' book, Good to Great? It's about 20 years ago. Okay, you remember this? He had this thing called the Hedgehog Principle. And basically, you know, a hedgehog survives because it only knows how to do one thing and it does it well. 
And so he asked the question, he asked uh, companies question uh, three things. What are you deeply, deeply passionate about? And so there were a lot of things we talked about in the leadership team and strategic planning team. What are we deeply passionate about? Well, for us, it has to be intimacy with God. Okay, 2 Peter 1.4, we partake of the divine nature. The next question is, well, what can St. Peter Church be the best at? What distinguishes us from, say, Cathedral or St. Michael or whatever? Not that it's competition because we're all on the same team. But we want to say, what can we be the best at? And we had determined that the best thing that we could, we could be at was the Sunday Mass experience. And the Sunday Mass experience, even though everyone's experiencing the same Jesus, what they take away is the three H's. The hymns, the hospitality, and the homily. Now, I will say we have probably the best music in the city of Lincoln here. And our hospitality and the new hospitality uh, team is fabulous. Like people say that who have joined the church recently said, I've never felt so welcome since I've come to St. Peter. And so now we're working on those homily things. But <laughs> <laughs> so what can we be the best at? The Sunday Mass experience. But then we had to ask ourselves this question, how do we gauge that? How do we know we will succeed? And so we set up goals. We said, well, we want at least 50% of all registered parishioners to attend Mass. And we were at 56. So we made that goal. Our second goal was we want 75% of active parishioners. Remember, this is the 806 number. And we got 87%. So that means that people who are active, whether it's in, in um, a ministry, their time of Eucharistic adoration, or by tithing, they are actually coming to church on Sunday. And then the next thing is we wanted 10% of active parishioners um, to attend daily Mass. Now, we didn't meet that goal. So that's going to be something we're going to be working on. Okay, next I want to show you just some uh, snapshot of some financials. This goes back from 2018 to current. Um, our total income, total expenses, and then our net. Um, for the fiscal year, our fiscal year starts July 1 and runs to uh, June 30th. Um, our fiscal year, that first year, we had a, a negative deficit, or a deficit, um, of ordinary income of $10,000. So we basically broke even, but we still had a deficit. The next year, we had a deficit of almost $65,000. Um, 2020-2021, we had a surplus of $215,000. Of course, we were still coming out of COVID. It was still pretty hard. Fortunately, we received what was called the PPP, uh, Payment Protection Program by the government. So um, we received funding that helped us that year. But then the next year, we had 382000 So we've seen the increase of our ordinary income. And in order to do that, we really had to balance the budget and cut some total expenses. And through your generosity of giving, um, it's um, turned the tide. And currently, we're about 164,000 um, ahead. Now, I anticipate June is really a hard month financially because a lot of people are traveling and stuff. So I just encourage you, uh, if you know you're going to be traveling, uh, go ahead and sign up online. We have our Sunday visitor. It's a great way to tithe. And so that way, you can continue to support your parish um, financially and through prayers, even as you travel or do pilgrimages. Um, I won't get into all the details about this, but um, our balance sheet, um, currently we have 13, a little about $13.5 million in total assets. Uh, most of it, obviously, is the facilities. And, um, yeah, our accounts. So we have about a million in our checking, which gets depleted pretty quick as we have to pay all of our staff. Um, our capital campaign, I'll talk about that in a minute. We have 1.2 million in that account. And in our savings, we have 1.8 million. And our parish organizations, we have about 280,000 in our parish organizations. Now, other parishes in the city of Lincoln have set up savings for their different organizations, which would be like the PCCW, um, 
the school family association and all the um, different earmarked things, we actually have quite a bit compared to all the other parishes. So our ministries are very, very well financially supported. Um, this is a lot of numbers. Uh, you, you can analyze this later. But, um, oh, we started our stewardship renewal in 2018. And in 2018, we had about 50% participate in this. And currently, we have 60% of households participating in the stewardship renewal. And one of the things that impressed me the most was the time commitment. Because let's be honest, it's, it's easy to give God money. It, it is. It's really easy to just write out a check or set it up on OSV. It's easy to give God money. It's easy to give God your talents because, hey, you know, we want to participate with others that have the same talent and make something great. It's hard to give God time. It really is because it's the most finite thing, resource that we have, and we don't know how much we have. But here's my invitation. You, God cannot be outdone in generosity. If you sign up for one hour of Eucharistic adoration, watch God multiply your time. So that's just, that's just an invitation for you. But that's something I've been so proud that people have actually committed to giving time. And that's not just time for adoration. That's also time praying together or coming to Mass on Sundays. So that number is um, probably um, the greatest number up there is the commitment of time. Okay, I'm going to shift gears and talk a little bit about our capital campaign. Um, this is going to be a summary of what I presented to the parish back in October when we kicked off the campaign. So some of this you may have seen um, or have heard about. Um, there were four areas in which the capital campaign had um, addressed. The first one was when I became pastor, you know, people were like, hey, Father, you know, we have an HVAC system that's broke. We need a parking lot that needs to be fixed. So we need all these other things. And I said, well, this first year I can't do anything because the diocese won't allow us to do anything until we actually balance our budget. So we had to balance that budget the first year. And so when we looked at our deferred maintenance, our HVAC system, our parking lot, and we haven't, so the, the HVAC system has been done. The parking lot will be um, happening this July, praise God. And we were hoping to have it done last summer, but the contractor fell through. One other thing is our principle of life, going back to our principle of life. And one of the things of life is to be open and accessible to all, especially the handicapped. And so we want to be able to put two handicapped stalls outside of St. Paul, outside of the Walls Room, with a handicapped door. And so I've asked some organizations if they could help me out with this. And then our parking lot signs, you can drive out and you can see how they're falling apart. Interesting enough, I found in some old files Back in 2012, um, Father Christensen had some plans to redo those marquees, and he asked um, two organizations, the PCCW and Knights of Columbus, if they would sponsor them each. Um, for some reason, they didn't actually get put in, and so it, it's, you know, uh, what it is. So we're going to um, have that done this summer as well. Um, security. Uh, we received a grant from the federal government of 150000 which helped us put in security system. It didn't cover all of it, but it covered half of it. And we had a generous parishioner who said, you know, I want our school to be the safest school in the city of Lincoln. So all of our classrooms are fobbed. All of our hallways have 360-degree cameras with facial recognition. And we've increased exterior lighting in the back and on the outside. And I was also told when I came, our fire alarm doesn't work. It's a little bit of a liability. So we got a new fire alarm system put in last fall. The security system is up and running as well. The third component of our capital campaign is the beautification of our church. And so um, Conrad Schmidt Studio is the designer of it. Uh, Midwest Tile will um, provide our tiling. Samson is our general contractor. Um, Manelli Construction out of Gretna will be doing our pews. Um, Kidwell will be doing our electrical. Olson, who's also a parishioner, will be doing our electrical engineering. ADA, um, John Hathaway um, is our, the architect that was involved in designing uh, the sanctuary floor. And as you walk in, there will be 12 figures. You've probably been seeing them in the bulletin. 
12 figures of the Old Testament, and they'll go chronologically to Christ, who is the Alpha and the Omega, and then the 12 apostles on the right. And then up here will be three, six different symbols of the uh, six different symbols of St. Peter. And then our stations of the cross will be up here in these niches and new stained glass windows. Our narthex will also be renovated um, starting in July. So our, our goal was 8.5 million. So 48% of it for the church and narthex and hallway and uh, for the beautification piece. 12% uh, of it is for our endowment. Most parishes have started in the endowment, so our goal was to put into an endowment 1.5 million. 6% is for the construction costs that Samson's doing. 17% uh, is our parking lot. Um, HVAC system was 9%, and we ran it in conjunction with our annual seminary and appeal. So we have about, um, our, our goal was about 80,000 for our seminary and appeal. And so instead of asking for the seminary and appeal, we just roll it into the same campaign. And then uh, security was 6%. And then our signs, um, are, they're each 40,000. And I want to thank the PCCW for, for giving us 40,000 for those signs. So our campaign success, um, you know, um, not to put them on the spot, but um, Zach Kane and John Cookta were a tremendous help to me and to the parish. You know, we didn't hire a consulting firm, um, which was going to take 8 to 10%. We didn't hire an architect at the beginning, which saved us 8 to 9%. And so we really, by not hiring them, uh, saved us close to about a million dollars. And one of the other instrumental thing for our campaign has been the great work that Brenda Shields has been doing. And so, you know, she was just working part time and I said, she's got some gifts. Let's bring her on full time. And uh, I think we can do it. And it's largely in part also because, well, God's grace has worked through you in your generosity. And so I set up, we had 60 meetings in 60 days in the silent phase, which got us to about 6.6 .6 million. And then in the public phase, uh, we got over our goal. Today, we've collected about $3 million. And, and it wasn't just from like five to 10 people. There were 530 people who had made a pledge um, to the capital campaign with an average pledge of 16,000. And so far to this date, we have not had to borrow any money from the diocese. As people who have been pledging um, and uh, setting it up monthly, we've been able to pay all of our contractors and subcontractors in a timely way that we haven't had, we haven't had to borrow, uh, which is a great thing. I just had uh, lunch today with another parishioner and stuff. He said, I'm gonna pay off my pledge today. I'm gonna give you a check. And so that in itself helped because when our, our um, parking lot goes in, you know, that's gonna be almost 800,000. And so we were thinking about we were going to have to borrow money from the diocese this summer. And so fortunately, people in their generosity have stepped up that we haven't had to borrow. Okay, so what's going to happen? Um, so as I had said before, um, our HVAC system was done last spring, and hopefully it feels good. Sometimes it's probably a little cold um, if you're in there for your adoration. I think it's kept at like 65. Um, that's so people don't fall asleep. No. Uh, no, it's, it's kept that way because, um, as you know, especially in the summer when a lot of people come to Mass, and we've been fortunate, a lot of people haven't come to Mass, is um, when those doors open up and you get a lot of bodies, it warms up about 10 degrees. So, um, Last summer, we put our security cameras in and fire alarm system and FOB. Um, in January uh, to December of this year, they've... We signed a contract in January with Conrad Schmidt to actually do the murals and stained glass. And so um, they are about half done with the murals now, and they're going to be starting on the apostles here. So that way, when they get to the point where they, they have to, they can just go ahead and put them up. So they're created in their studio, and then they'll be working on their stained glass this fall. Um, our sanctuary. Uh, will be in June and July. Our hope is to have the sanctuary kind of set up. 
and then the narthex in july so in july well it'll be kind of busy around here um, the parking lot will also be done um, in july and then august new parking lot signs will come in the new marquees and then from august to february we'll have the painting of the church and the tile installation and then in march the hope is the installation of the pews, the altar, the ambo, and the windows. And so we don't have actually a date yet because we're, we were still ordering materials as far as a, a week ago. And there's still one more contract that I've been working with um, this person to, to, to get that in. So, um, But the hope is that it'll be before Easter, maybe the week before Holy Week. So we'd be in here by Palm Sunday. That's probably the earliest. Um, the latest would be like May 1st. So we got kind of a, a two-month window there. Okay, so all masses will be down here um, in the place formerly known as Bishop Vasha Hall. You know, been to St. Peter's in Rome. So, you know, underneath St. Peter's is the Scavi. So we're just going to call this the Scavi. <laughs> so we'll have, we will have, so right now, it's just for your reference, there's 200 chairs set up. So we can get 200 more behind you and then off to the side here, 50 and 50. So we can still set up for about 500. So I don't anticipate 500 people will be coming to church under renovation, um, but I, there still will probably be anywhere between 350 to 450. Um, and so on um, during the school year, we'll just keep 300 chairs set up. And so the altar will be right here. And so you can kind of picture what it'll look like. Um, and then the back half of the room will be, still be used for um, the school, or if we have a funeral luncheon, you just turn around and go to the luncheon right behind you. Um, baptisms will be over here, probably a little marker over there. Um, adoration. Uh, one thing that might be kind of um, nice about the renovation is we will actually have a designated spot for adoration. I, I'm so thankful for the flexibility of our adorers and the parishioners, you know, Oftentimes we have a funeral show or a wedding or this organization needs to use the church for this or this. And so a lot of times our doors get kind of interrupted, but now we'll just have a permanent place where there won't be any interruptions and they'll, we'll run the normal um, times for um, adoration that we currently do. Um, confessions. Um, so there's two rooms behind you. You can see one of them back there where it's got the food and stuff. Those food will be taken out. Uh, maybe we'll leave one can for Father Worth. Um, but uh, one of them will be a confessional over there. Another one will be uh, another confessional. We'll have two confessionals um, behind us here. Um, the bride's room will turn into the sacristy. Um, well, the cry, well, uh, actually that's changed. Yeah, it'll be the, the sacristy. And then weddings and funerals. We can host weddings and funerals here if people want, but we'll also um, work with families if they want to find another church. Um, and so we'll have limited space for meetings here from June till next May. So uh, one thing that I'm uh, very thankful for is that people use our facilities quite a bit. There's always rooms reserved and so forth. But St. Mary's will be reserved for Jesus and those people who come to adore him. And so St. Paul will be used primarily by those, um, the, the church organization. So we won't be able to like say res to, to rent out St. Paul, which gets used a lot for like showers and so forth. So just to note that um, there'll be just limited um, reservations for meetings. And then because people are going to probably exit that door, exit that door, exit that door, exit St. Paul, um, we're, we're also, we also won't have any solicitation in the next 10 months. So um, organizations won't, be out the, won't have time to sell anything because people are going to be dispersed um, and we don't really have a place unless they want to hang out back by the parking lot and stuff. But um, so that's just kind of some um, growing pains that we'll have to um, go through. Next year, our theme will be zeal for your house will consume me. Do you want to know the context of this scripture verse? John chapter two. Zeal for your house will consume me. Yeah, exactly. Jesus cleansing the temple. So what we want to do is realize that as much as this place is good functionally for things, 
The most important thing about this place, as opposed to any other place in our neighborhood, is where the living God comes to meet us. And so we want this place, we want to have a zeal for his house. That's why we're doing everything we're doing, to create it beautiful, because zeal for, our house, zeal for his house should consume us. And so Jesus goes into the temple, and they, they say this about Jesus, and they're really quoting the psalmist. Okay, so um, you've, you're probably familiar when you do a, a SWOT analysis. What are your strengths, weaknesses, opportunities, and threats? So we did a SWOT analysis um, this last year, and we talked about it in our leadership team. Um, so what are the, strength, uh, the strengths of St. Peter? And I'm just going to list three of each. As you can see, uh, mass attendance. You know, what we have seen and rebounded from what we've gone through in the past and under COVID, it's been remarkable. And that is really owed to you guys to, to say, I'm not only going to come to church, but I'm going to invite my friends, my neighbors. Um, <laughs> one story I was at, I like grocery shopping. It's the only shopping I like to do. And I was at the grocery store um, buying some groceries for the rectory. And this guy comes up to me and he pokes me. He said, are you a real priest? And I said, yeah, it's not Halloween. He said, I've never seen a priest in the grocery store. He said, this must be a sign from God. I'm like, oh, probably. It probably is. And, and then I said, well, my church is right over there. When's the last time you've been to church? He said, well, I haven't been to church in like 25 years, but maybe I should come back. And I mean, he was an older gentleman. And then he came to Mass and... Right after Mass, he came up and gave me a big hug and he said, thank you for inviting me to come back to church. <laughs> so all it takes is a simple invitation. Um, the next thing I am grateful for is our staff and our ministry leaders. There are so, so many people who are dedicated and put so much time, energy, and effort. And because of that, that is really a strength of St. Peter. You know, this parish is bigger than one priest or two priests or three priests. Uh, this parish really takes the leadership of all. And we have some great leaders who have used their gifts and their talents to serve the Lord and his people. And you know who you are, so I thank you. And then finally, the generosity of our parishioners. Um, you know, I was talking to Bill Gravy about this the other day. You know, I'm just like, I'm a little nervous about next year being down here, and uh, you know I don't know if we're going to make the budget and stuff. And they said you got, said you got generous people. Look what you've been able to do with the capital campaign and still build a balance of budget. And so the generosity of all of you have been able to accomplish this. And so I am so grateful for that. Uh, but our weaknesses, you know, we're not perfect. Uh, one of the weaknesses that we may have is what's called uh, maintenance mode. And maintenance mode looks like, okay, well, we've always done it this way. And oftentimes in life, whether it's in our business, in our personal lives, if we just kind of stay in the same bubble and we don't kind of think outside of the box, we become kind of stagnant. And when organizations become stagnant, there's no growth. And then we eventually die. And I don't want to do that many funerals. <laughs> But no, what, what I'm talking about, we have to look outside of um, being a maintenance mode to moving to mission mode. And I'll talk about that in a minute. Um, the next, and this is probably one that tears on my heart the most, is the lack of marriages. I showed you that last year we had 14, but in the last few years, we've averaged probably about 11 to 12 weddings a year. The Diocese of Lincoln last year had about 142 weddings. That's the whole diocese. And, you know, when we see the trends where we don't have kids, and we see the trends of the school, possibly the enrollment going down, and there's a lot of things that we can do, like, okay, well, maybe we need more advertising. Maybe we can do this and this and this to increase, you know, enrollment or whatever. But if it's broke from the beginning, it's because there aren't many people getting married. They're getting married or they're, they're, they're getting married outside of the church, you know, a destination wedding um, at the beach or the mountains, or they don't realize that being Catholic is important, so they go get married in a Protestant church, 
or they're not even getting married at all, they're cohabitating, or people are just not getting married at all. And so this is actually a dangerous, dangerous statistic that I'm not sure many people are really aware of or talking about. Um, so um, the next is uh, our lack of evangelization. The Lord had called us to go out and make disciples of all nations. Um, two years ago, we had identified 600 inactive households, and the Legion of Mary went with me, and we went and knocked on their door and invited them to come back. And it was Herculean. We started probably, what, in September and got done in April. We went out for two hours every Thursday night. But, you know, the invitation was out there for anyone in the parish, but we only had about, on average, about four to six people each week um, to go out and do that. And so what we need to do is really look at evangelization and how to actually go out and encounter people. Opportunities. So opportunities are things that we're not currently doing, but we could do. Um, the first is perpetual adoration. With 1,400 households, it's a great opportunity. Can we possibly have Eucharistic exposition 24 hours a day, seven days a week? Now, that's a goal. That's going to be our three-year goal. Um, this next year, we, we want to just kind of maintain what, where we're at, but continue to grow it. But then eventually, we want to just go possibly all night adoration during the week, and then maybe add weekends or possibly add weekends. So I'm going to be talking to um, the leadership team, and Katie Dornboss has been doing a great job with our adoration program with this to see how we can actually get to that. Um, the next is discipleship groups. We've started it, they're pilot groups, but it's an opportunity that say like, hey, can everyone in our parish actually belong to a smaller group? Can they actually get their friends together, especially now that we don't have many access to um, resources here at the church because some things are closed down, can we actually create fellowship groups in which people can come and learn the faith together? And then the next is um, ongoing evangelization. Um, we have the hope and the dream to start pilgrimages and missions. So it looked like something like, you know, this next summer we're going to do a pilgrimage to Rome. And we want it just to be St. Peter's parishioners. So that way we can de develop friendship and fellowship and grow in holiness together. And then the next year, do missionary work. And so I've got some pilot stuff going with um, people in Peru and then um, also in Rome and Poland and Lebanon. So stay tuned for that. Okay, what are threats? Um, threats are things that um, are can either be exterior or interior. Um, the first threat to our church is the breakdown of family life. You know, when families don't pray together or come to church together, um, when spouses don't pray together, it, it really is one of the greatest threats um, that we have. Um, the next threat is uh, consumerism, materialism. Um, I think Scott Hahn said it best in one of his recent books that as human beings in this new world, we live like materialists, but we die like nihilist. Nihilist means that there's nothing beyond this world. And so there's nothing. And so this is a real threat, and we see this particularly with all the things that are going on on Sunday, um, especially with the increase um, of activities and sports and work that happens on Sunday, that people have turned their hearts and minds from God to the things of this world. And if you remember right, I mean, as Mark Twain said, history doesn't repeat itself, but it sure does rhyme. The way that Germany fell... To the, in their faith to Adolf Hitler, even though it, it was probably one of the strongest countries in the world in their faith at the turn of the 1900s, but he got the youth involved in activities and sports and Hitler youth movement, which always took place on Sunday. Uh, and to be honest, our greatest threat is ourselves in a way. Um, sometimes we think that the threat in the church is out there, but it really is in here. Because each and every one of us are capable of doing heroic things for the Lord, but we're also capable of sinning gravely and becoming a Judas. So it, within each one of us is either a Peter or a Judas. The difference is Peter repented. 
Okay, so where are we going? Um, we have the wonderful opportunity to go back to the beginning, to the beginning of what early Christianity looked like. Because things are going to be kind of limited for us down here, the early church in which they worshipped together, they lived together, they prayed together, they studied together, they did four things in Acts 2.42. Fellowship, prayer, teaching of the apostles, and breaking of bread, also known as Mass. I mean, these are the four characteristics of what it means to be a disciple. How do I have fellowship with my other parishioners? How do I pray with my family? How do I follow the teachings of the church and my study in the faith? And how often do I attend Mass? So in order to go there, we want to, we're looking at a three-year discipleship goal. And what that means first is um, creating a discipleship council. And so before we had a liturgical council, a stewardship council, um, we have a finance council um, and a prophetic office um, council. We want to combine them into a discipleship council. And so that will be three individuals from three of the areas to come together. And it's basically the same thing as a parish council, but it's got, instead of just a, uh, a council that you bounce ideas off of, it's got the strategic plan and the mission in mind. Just as the Lord called 12 disciples to come and follow me, we have a mission, and your mission is to make disciples of all nations. The next is to create uh, discipleship groups. Now, we've said before, these are, we've had 12 pilot groups. Um, some are families, some are all men, some are all women. And so there is definitely this great gift of learning the faith together in fellowship. Uh, one of the things that I understand in large parishes, it, it's, it's easy to become an anonymous Catholic. And when people are anonymous and they don't really have fellowship with one another, it's easy for them to fall away. I mean, this is probably what some of you are from small towns. Mass attendance in small towns is, generally speaking, 10 to 20% higher than it is in the city of Lincoln. And why is that? Well, because you know that you know, the Smiths weren't at Mass this last week because everyone knows each other. There's fellowship. There's an accountability. And so that's what kind of fellowship group does as well. Um, the third is um, implementation of discipleship in sacramental preparation. Um, so Blake's been doing a great job with this, of meeting with the families, to say that the sacraments are not just a Catholic merit badge, but rather we want to be very intentional of walking with you and your child um, in the faith. And so it's holding people to a little higher accountability. And, of course, what happened to Jesus when he did that? He kind of upset some people, but he said, you just got to shake the dust out of your feet and, and move on. So we're not going to be bean counters and look to have the highest number of sacraments. What we want is people who are deeply committed to the Lord and to his church. So the five stages of discipleship, the first is the recognition that God calls each and every one of us. Just as he told Peter, come and follow me. He basically says, I think that you can be like me. That's what it means to be a disciple. But then it has to be our response. God cannot force us into discipleship. So it was not you who chose me, but I who chose you. The third has to be our prayer life. In order to abide in Christ and build his kingdom, before we build his kingdom, we first have to abide in him. And so that means our, our prayer, our, um, our time with the Lord. And fourth is to share life companionship with other disciples. It's not just about me and Jesus. It's about me and the community of believers being, as St. Peter says, as one heart and one mind. But then he sends them out. So to be a disciple for three years was important for formation. But it wasn't just to be, as Jeff Cavins, my good friend, says, sometimes Catholics would become consumers. We just want to like consume the newest product that comes out, and we just consume, consume, consume. But then what do we do with it? We have to transition from discipleship to apostleship. We have to take 
what we've learned, who we've become, to become apostles and to go out of St. Peter's and invite others to encounter Jesus. We can't just stay here. So if you're like me and you like graphs, you can see that beginning discipleship, the Lord plants the seed, and then the disciple grows after three years, and then they're commissioned. And then a disciple makes other disciples. And then eventually the disciple continues to make more. 2 Timothy 2.2, what you have seen and heard from me and trust to faithful people who can teach others as well. It's not merely enough to learn our faith or to live our faith or to even teach the faith. We have to teach others how to teach the faith. We have to teach others how to teach the faith. And that's what it means to be a disciple. So then to move to the stage of apostleship, we're going to look at um, going after the lost sheep again. And our goal is to do this once the church is complete. We're going to send people out two by two, knocking on the doors of possibly 400 inactive parishioners. And some of them may be coming to church. Some of them say, hey, well, yeah, actually, I go to this church or that church because of whatever reason. And so they're still practicing the faith. It's just good for us to know that. And then invite them to come back to Mass invite them to see what St. Peter's has to offer. The second is we go after the, the lost son, not by forcing them to come back, but by praying them or even inviting. Remember the story of the prodigal son? This is all taken from Luke 15. There were three lost. And Faith has been doing a good job with this with the St. Monica's ministry. And they come together in adoration, do penance, and to talk and have like a support group. Maybe you know someone in your life who has fallen away from the church to join this ministry, to offer specific prayers and intentions for them and to pray for them to come back, just as the prodigal son's father did for him. And then the, the lost coin. Um, you know, the difference between the lost coin, the lost sheep, and the son is to be human means to have an intellect and a will. So the prodigal son knowingly chooses to leave and willfully chooses. He knows and he chooses to leave. So the father doesn't go after him. The lost sheep are like people who are Catholic. They're inactive. They just they, they walk away from the fold. And they don't intend to stop going to church. They might just be busy with their work or sports or whatever is on TV that morning on Sundays. You know, and so these are the people we have to go after. And the third group is the lost coin. The lost coin represents people who are not Christian or they're not Catholic. And so these people, we, we need to go door to door. But in order to do that, um, we have to go through this formation of being a disciple first. And so what we've decided to do, instead of calling it a stewardship renewal, you know, the word stewardship we've been using the last five years. But I asked a new parishioner the other day, I'm like, when you think of stewardship, what do you think of? What, what do you think they said? Money. It's just about money. I'm like, no, actually, as I told them, it's easy to give God money. It's easy to give God money. It's more difficult to give him your talents, but it's really hard to give him your time. Give me your time. Can you sign up for one hour of adoration and watch the Lord work through you? I don't know if I could sign up for an hour, Father. Um, so instead of calling it stewardship, we're going to call it discipleship. This is what it means to be a disciple of the Lord. This is what it means to be a follower. And so we're going to go back to the beginning. Anyone here know the story of Nehemiah? I know there's a couple of people out here. I'm, I'm going to leave with, I'm going to end on this, and then I'll take some questions. I want to tell you the story of, of, of Nehemiah. I um, was reading Nehemiah last summer, and, and inspired by him. So um, you know the salvation history, the Israelites, they are conquered, and they're brought into captivity of the Babylonians, and eventually they get to come back into, into the Promised Land. And when they come back to the Promised Land, the priest there is Ezra, and then the prophet is Nehemiah. And Nehemiah represents the laity, and Ezra, us priest. 
And what's, he, what's Nehemiah do? He says, I'm going to build back the wall. You know, because in ancient societies, having a wall meant several things. It meant protection. It meant that we were all part of one community. And it brought safety for your kids to play. And so Nehemiah starts building the wall. And what happens? He's attacked. But he's not attacked from the outside. He's attacked from within. He starts building the wall, and his own people start attacking him. And so the story goes that he's building the wall with one hand in the trial. and the other hand, he's got a sword. You know, God gave us two hands. Oftentimes when we build, or we make changes, or we do something different, there's going to be battles. And that's not always on the outside. Sometimes it's the interior. But God gave us two hands, one hand to build and one hand to battle. And if we're not building, we're not battling. And if we're not battling, we're not building. And so I thank you all for joining me tonight. I ask you to help, help me build, rebuild the wall so that God's people may prosper in peace, to worship him, to abide in him, and to build his kingdom. I'll take any questions.